This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward and welcome to another episode of Ask Shane. Woohoo! I get to be in the hot seat again. Here we go. I love these. So you get to ask questions. You're very good at asking questions. Uh, it's one of your <laughs> talents. I get to talk a lot, which obviously is one of my talents. And Julie is very thankful that I'm getting all my words out today. So thank you for helping her as well. There you go. There you go. Okay, first question. Now, these questions are questions that are asked by insurance agents, whether it's an agency owner or a producer. And if you have a question that you'd like to be included on a podcast in the future, be sure to send those to us on social media or uh, on our contact page on our website, which is iaforward.com. Okay, so let's start with this one. We do a lot of mailers, like four to 5,000 a month. They have covered their cost until this year. Do you do mailers? P.S. We have tried postcards, but get almost no results with that. So we've stuck with letters. I don't do mailers. We've done mailers way, way back. And it's just something that we've moved away from. We think that the person-to-person referral, we think that where we're at as a life stage, as an organization, as an agency, that it makes a whole lot more sense for us to spend all of our energy around trying to put our existing customers in a place where they would be willing to refer new prospects to it. However, I understand that the mailer option and the prospecting mechanism through mailers, letters, postcards is something that's necessary early on in an agency life stage and it's necessary as part of the growth aspect sometimes. I like mailers over email or other things that's direct mail oriented just because I feel like people don't get mail anymore. But I think the mailer needs to be done appropriately. You can mess this up really quickly. Absolutely. You can really, really mess this up. And I think this really depends on your target demographic. I mean, if you're trying to reach a boomer or a Gen X or maybe even an Xennial, then I think mailers are good. If you're trying to reach a Gen Z or a millennial, they don't check their mail. I mean, they can go weeks without checking their mail. In fact, we were watching a show last night on a gentleman helping people with their finances, and he asked to see their bills, and these were two very successful business owners that were both millennials, and they kind of looked at each other, and they were like, well, when was the last time we checked the mail? And they went to the mailbox and came in with, like, this armload of stuff because they hadn't checked their mail. So if you're looking at sending mailers to first-time home buyers, yeah, probably most of those are going to be millennials and they're not opening, they're not reading it. The times have changed, but I do love it to the certain generations and I think that makes sense because there's a lot of people that aren't getting mail anymore. You actually have an opportunity in certain segments to actually send someone a very well-worded letter or something that is not obnoxious postcard stuff. That's what drives me crazy is like obnoxious postcards, but something that's classy or just a good old fashioned letter that you wrote a group of prospects that you're targeting. I like that if it's to the demographic that really isn't getting mail because they'll actually open it. It has everything to do with who your target prospect is. So here's the next question. Do you have any good talking points or educational ideas on how to explain an insurance score to a client? This is an awesome, awesome question because it's always been vaguely described by the insurance carrier.
years that when we went to the whole credit scoring concept, it's always been, it's a soft hit. It's not a hard hit on your credit. There is some truth to that. Like it is a soft hit. It's a generally a combination of things that are in a proprietary formula that's carrier specific that says we add these things, we throw it in a bucket, we produce a score that says this is going to be a good risk or not. And yes, it does have financial impact. It has other impacts as well. Do you own a home? What level of education have you attained, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of starting to sweat on this because when I combine that with this idea of the plain language movement, it's really, really complicated. And it's one of those things that you need to get down into the layman's terms and just speak plain English. An insurance score is a softer version of a credit score, and it's intended to measure your risk level. That doesn't always feel good. So I'm going to tell you to put that in your terms, in your culture, in your region of the country. Understand your customer first and foremost and start there is that it's a soft hit. It's a combination of factors that leads to your risk profile. Insurance scoring is also something that for 20 plus years has come under pressure from various state DOIs. And depending on the state and political side of that state and kind of where that falls, is it an elected DOI? Is it a appointed DOI? Is it a Republican, Democrat, governor? Where does that state tend to lean? Also tends to kind of follow whether insurance scoring is being kind of attacked or allowed. There's definitely truth that insurance score is a great predictive indication of risk, but so many carriers are kind of moving down this path of telematics, but telematics is an even better predictor. And I know that long term, carriers would love to get away from clue reports and MVR reports because they're extremely expensive to run for the carrier. And managing that expense load is a lot from a quoting aspect. Telematics can take us down this path where we're not worried about insurance score. We're not worried about MVR. We're not worried about anything. We're just going to do the telematics and that's going to tell us what people should pay for their insurance. We're going to see a lot of change happen here. Okay. So here's a big one. I spent five weeks training a new employee only to have her quit by leaving in the middle of the day for lunch and never coming back. All I got was a text that said, this job isn't for me. I left the office key on my desk. I personally trained her and believe me when I say there were zero warning signs that she was unhappy. She was actually doing quite well and seem to be picking up very fast on quoting. I feel like I just got dumped and now I have even more anxiety about my next new hire. How do I know that they won't just jump up and leave one day after I've invested so much time in them? Should I be giving them a bonus every month that they stay? I am out of ideas. First of all, welcome to being an agency owner and welcome to being an employer. And the first thing that I'm going to tell you is let's evaluate yourself. So let's start there. That's what I did. That's what I'm going to do is, okay. first of all, our natural thing is, did I do something wrong? Is my environment wrong? And no, paying them a bonus to stay. I do not advocate that. I don't think that that's where from an employment standpoint, we should be as agency owners. I do think you have to think about 
where did this person come from? Did you do the things up front? Did you do any testing? So we've advocated zero risk HR. There's plenty of others. What is the position? Did you hire someone because you liked them? Or did you hire someone because they were a great fit for the job? Did you clearly define the job description during the interview process and how you were deciding on who you were going to hire? Or did you just say, I am drowning. I need help. And you found this person and you liked them because y'all's personalities maybe fit or whatever. And you said, yes, come on. And you just started throwing them in and not knowing whether they were a great fit or not for the actual job you needed them to do. Insurance is technical. And that's one of those things that you have to think about. I don't want you to have anxiety because unless you want to be a solopreneur forever and ever, which is fine. But if you want to go down this path of having employees, I want to encourage you that there's going to be some failure. What if you didn't train them yourself well and they stayed? What if he or she would have stayed and been miserable? What do you think the world looks like three months from now when you push them out of the nest and they're operating on their own and they're miserable and that miserable nature gets portrayed to your client and you thought everything was fine. So would you rather them flake out on you early or would you rather them stay and be miserable? And so the best way to do it is to fail and not intentionally, but you learned a lot through this process, I guarantee you. And you now know, I need to do this a little bit differently now. We're going to get personal on this one. I am working toward expanding my commercial book in wanting to discuss cyber insurance more. Do you have any real life examples of a cyber claim and how did you handle it? I have very much a real life cyber claim environment. We were past that point, thank goodness. It was a very, very interesting time of life for me personally. The grand event. The grand event. Just for clarity, the context, are they talking about for themselves or for being a uh, seller of cyber insurance? I think they're talking about being a seller of cyber insurance? Here's the deal with cyber. A cyber event is basically lurking in the weeds and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when for just about every business out there. It's going to happen. There are too many bad guys and there are too many good guys with things to attack and there are too many bad guys with tools and opportunities to attack us. And what you have to understand is that in certain parts of the world, being a hacker is actually a business. All that said, my experience was with ransomware and it was generally around the infrequent updating of passwords around administrative user accounts. And it was through a very, very old malware called Keylogger. And basically it recorded keystrokes. And so it was able to capture new passwords as they were created. It's kind of scary, actually. Highly recommend if you listen to audiobooks, there's an Audible original called The Dark Web. It's a little bit old now, but it's very relevant. And it will totally freak you out. Like, like, oh my goodness. Oh. If you're in the insurance business, that means you're risk manager in my view. Every risk manager insurance professional needs to listen to this. Personal lines focused, commercial lines focused, I don't care. It's called The Dark Web. And I do want you to listen to this for the purpose of understanding reality that exists and things that are out there. And they're great 
points and I'm not a big sell on fear person. So if I'm a commercial lines producer and I'm selling cyber, number one, I think it's fantastic, but become an expert because cyber policies are mostly in the excess and surplus lines world now. And they can basically cover and exclude whatever they want. And they can kind of do different things that they want to do. And it is the wild west still. And it's been one of the hot button topics for probably six to eight years in our industry. And it's still one of the top concerns for most businesses. And so being a commercial producer and focusing and leading with cyber, I think it's an incredible strategy, but become an expert first because cyber is such a wild west environment. Here's a fun one for you. We all have our favorite carrier reps. What makes a carrier rep great? And what makes yours your favorite? What makes carrier reps great combination of things, but responsiveness is top of the list. The ability to listen and not be constantly just selling something. Kind of the same thing that what makes a great agent. Are they able to listen? Do they understand your agency? Are they wanting to understand your business model, what you're trying to do? Because there's a ton of different business models within the independent agency channel in and of itself. Small agency, mid-size agency, large agency, personal lines, commercial, etc. All those different things. And most of the time, the carriers have kind of specialized their reps down a, a certain path of personal lines or commercial lines. That's okay. That's good. I don't mind that because then they become a little more expert oriented around their products that they're promoting. But I also don't want them to be constantly selling me like we're huge on relationship. I made a like LinkedIn post uh, not too long ago about relationship relationships are everything. And I truly believe that it starts with, are you relationship driven as an insurance company marketing rep? Are you really balancing helping your agencies grow or are you just pushing the company product line? I advocate for, think about your customer and your customer as a marketing rep is your insurance agency, your agent. If you think about it in that context and you help us grow and you want to help us be successful, well, then you're going to have natural success. And those are the marketing reps that I love to work with that get my attention and the ones that I'm thinking top two or three off top of my head, they all do this. It's always been relationship first. And then it's, we need to work on this or, hey, here's what I'm asking you to help me with. I had a conversation with one of our biggest agents at our Integra agent conference a few weeks ago. And he was actually talking about this and he was complaining because he was saying, you know, I have this one rep that when they come to my office, he's like, I just want to stab needles in my eyes because I know that the only thing that they're going to do is talk about why I'm not doing what they want me to do. And he said, why can't they just come in and say, hey, how can I help you get there? And he said, just rephrasing it with how can I help you get there versus you're not doing what we want you to do would make such a difference. As agents, we can take the high road there and say, okay, something's not working here. So maybe I need to have an honest, truthful conversation about that and understand what their need is. What is their goal? Understand that the reps, they're generally not coming in and just attacking an agent because that's just who they are. That's not normal. It's probably something else. They've been given a directive. They've been given some statement from up the food chain. And so you have to kind of always understand from a context standpoint, why would this person be doing this with me? Being able to take that step back and say, okay, be honest. Hey, you know, we always have negative conversations. How can we make this positive? And you can wait and hope that this person changes, or you can take that step forward, lean in and be honest with how you feel about it. Here's the deal. It's probably not a great relationship anyway. 
So you either fix it or maybe they're not a great fit for you. And that's the thing as an independent agency owner that you always have to remember. And we get caught in this FOMO environment or, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose this company. I've got to have this company. And the truth is, no, you're an independent agency. You can do something different. And I know that in this market, that doesn't sound logical at all because it's a really hard market and not a lot of carriers are writing new business in certain parts of the country. And so that sounds really crazy right now. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're still independent business owners and we still have to remember that at the end of the day, we don't have to do business with everyone and everyone doesn't have to do business with us. Just having conversations. We talked about this on a previous podcast. Our society needs that. Let's just have better conversations. And that's where I think it starts. In other words, be nice. Be nice. Or the way I like to put it, you know, that's the positive version. Your Tanya's giving you the positive version. Just be nice. I'm going to give you the other side, the blunt version. Don't be a turd. Stop. Did you just say that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. My team has been overworked for the last nine months because of the hard market. While we are extremely humbled and truly thankful for the revenue growth, I want my team to be rested and enjoy the working environment. We are contemplating closing to the public on Fridays to have a dedicated day for creation, innovation, and team building. We used to have team meetings every Friday at a different small and local owned business just to try new things. And I want to get back to doing things like that. I love my team. They work hard, but I feel like we need to incorporate the culture of living more than working. What suggestions do you have? So I really, really love this for small teams. I know this gets very difficult the bigger you get, whether it's one day fully, whether it's half days, whether it's something, taking care of your people in the manner that Herb Kelleher, Southwest Airlines, back in the heyday, take care of your people. Your people will take care of your customers. It's a fantastic thing. And organizational culture. All right. I'll just go ahead and let you in on my retirement gig. I would think that that would be like if I was ever going to be a consultant to something, I would want to be an organizational culture consultant. It's just something that's missing in terms of taking care of your people. Our people work a lot and you start adding up the number of hours you work every week and then you throw in sleeping and then you figure out, oh my gosh, I spend more time with the people I work with than my family Monday through Friday. Understanding that and taking that step forward, first of all, is a win as an agency owner and I love it. The fear is, well, oh my gosh, what if a customer is trying to get a hold of us or what if a mortgage company is trying to get a hold of us? The really big fear comes into agents who are really, really dependent on the mortgage referral business. And I feel like there's a little bit of the tail wagging the dog sometimes here in this environment where we are catering to those mortgage brokers and those mortgage folks so much that we are responding to them in hours or minutes. And if we don't respond to them, that we're going to lose their referral. They're going to go to the next agent. And I think if you are that agent and that's how you feel, I really think you got to check the referral source and check that relationship because that's the fear of why people maybe don't do this. And I say it's okay. I say it's okay to be able to shut down in terms of not answering the phone. I know agents that do this daily at four o'clock 
and they don't open to the public until nine and they close at four. And they actually do this sort of breathing room thing for their staff in that way. They kind of take on the banker's hours kind of concept where we close the lobbies. You know, why do banks do that? Why did banks do that? Well, they had to run their process. They had to stop the money coming in and they had to go run the back end process. And that's why transactions after two or after three every day were going to the next day. So if you kind of think about that, you understand the context of why there are so-called bankers hours. There's agencies that do this across the country. They do it well. Taking a, a half a day or a day is okay. The question was more like, what are some pointers? I think you just have to set the parameters and go. I think you just have to say, okay, we're going to do this. I'm committed to this. And here's the thing. There may be some fallout, especially if you pick Friday as your day, because the procrastinating real estate agent referral source, the procrastinated mortgage broker referral source, those are the people that are going to call you at 4.30 on Friday needing a binder because they are closing Monday at 8 a.m. and they forgot or whatever the situation is. And and you know what? I don't think your business suffers if you ignore that. We just heard it from one of our agents at a conference about not using your cell phone. Use a business phone. Don't use your cell phone number. And the whole context is the same. It's okay to turn Turn it off. You're not a hotel concierge. You, you're not an administrative assistant. You don't have to answer your cell phone text at 2 a.m. If somebody's trying to get a hold of you at some ridiculous hour of the day, why? Insurance? Oh, come on. It's not like somebody's been kidnapped. Let's just be real here. There's just so many things that we do and we do it in the name of service and it just goes too far. And so I love taking care of your people and giving your people time and helping your people people catch up breathe. And I just love the concept all the way around. I want to go back to something you just mentioned, which was the cell phone usage in your agency. And we did a question and answer panel with 10 of Integra's top agents. And people were able to ask any kind of questions they wanted to ask. And 10 out of 10 of our top agents preached, do not give out your cell phones. Do not give out your cell phone number. Now, we're not saying that you can't use your cell phone and then have a number masked, you know, have your business number that goes to your cell phone. But every single one of these 10 agents that were standing up there, and I even called on you and you put your two cents in, I put my two cents in, the challenges that I've had by doing it. And that turned into such a hotbed of conversation after that panel. And it was so interesting to me about how many of our agents who maybe aren't quite so successful came up to me and shared with me why they were different. All of the reasons why they had to use their cell phone, why they had to give their cell phone out. And all I could think of was you just had 10 of the best agents in our group give you all of the reasons why it's going to help you be successful to not give out your cell phone. I had a post-session conversation with one of the members that was on the stage, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this. His statement was very, very resonating to me. We do that because we are trying to make ourselves more important than we are. It makes me feel better if I do it this way because I really need to feel that important 
and our customers will accept our process, right? If they're truly our customer, they'll accept that they can text you on Saturday morning when you're at the kid's ball game and you don't respond to that text until Monday. They'll accept that if you will accept that. And I think that if they won't accept that, then the question becomes, is it really the customer that you want? Is that the business that you want? Going back to the cyber event, the IT company that we purchased, it had been kind of built around a single individual founder process. And in order to be successful, that founder did the same thing with his business. Cell phone, this is how you get a hold of me. And he was at one time in his life having to respond to 1 a.m. messages because an agent somewhere couldn't get onto the system. It was so unhealthy. And he admits it's unhealthy. He knew it was unhealthy, but he felt like he had to do it to keep the customer. And it's only because we allowed the customer to do this to us. We allowed ourselves to get into that trap that that happens. We don't have to do it that way. You get to decide how your agency is going to operate. And there's this fear that if I don't respond at the drop of a hat, if I don't shove everything else to the side, family included, and respond to this customer that I'm somehow not going to be successful. And I'm here to tell you that is just not true. And we need to let go of that fear. And especially when we start out from scratch, it's this opportunity to say, what do I want this thing to look like? What do I really want it to look like? What kind of business do I want it to be eight years from now? Because that first two years, we really have a hard time getting our head around that. And That's where we create the mistakes and we train our customers that it's okay to text me at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning while I'm at the soccer game because we responded to that in the early years and we responded that way. And now it doesn't matter because guess what? Your customer for the first time all week is sitting down on the couch drinking coffee thinking, oh crap, I need to text Tanya because I forgot to call her and add that vehicle on Wednesday. Guess what? It'll still be okay on Monday. Their procrastination does not create your emergency. That's another cliche we've heard. Procrastination on your part does not create an emergency on my part. Training our customers, which was the theme of that panel discussion around cell phone usage, is extremely important in how we operate our business today and then into the future. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Vernon Law. Experience is a hard teacher because she gives the test first and the lesson afterward. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.